0: If you would, you can turn in your Bibles in preparation to the Gospel of Luke. And this week we're going to be uh, kind of covering from the book chapter 4, and it's it's going to be, again, I, I go loose along the guidelines of the book just to give you something or reason to read it. I'm not going to hit a lot of the book, but I do encourage you to, to check that out this week. Um, perhaps a lot of you, I'm sure a lot of you have heard of uh, Chuck Swindoll, and As we look at this this idea or this this topic of temptation, and again, the title of today's message is Temptation, Unhurried Enough to Resist. Uh, Charles, uh, Chuck Swindoll, he he gives this illustration. I really enjoyed reading it, and so I want to share it today with you. He says, some people fall into temptation, but a great many make plans for disaster ahead of time. And he gives this illustration of this father and son. So listen to this conversation. He says, son, ordered a father, Don't swim in that canal. Okay, Dad, he answered. But he came home carrying a wet bathing suit that evening. Where have you been, demanded the father. Swimming in the canal, answered the boy. Didn't I tell you not to swim there, asked the father. Yes, sir, answered the boy. Well, why did you, he asked. Well, Dad, he explained, I had my bathing suit with me and I couldn't resist the temptation. Why did you take your bathing suit with you, he questioned. So I'd be prepared to swim in case I was tempted, he replied. So too many of us expect to sin and and expect and excite, and we get excited when we look at sin. And he goes on, he says, whenever we play with temptation, it is easy to drift into great danger. And then he gives us a a second illustration, and, and listen to this and see if you can maybe see yourself here. He says a woman was bathing in the Gulf of Mexico. She was enjoying the comfort of relaxing on an inflated cushion that kept her afloat. When she realized that she had been swept away about a half mile out from the beach, she began to scream, but no one heard her. A Coast Guard craft found her five miles from the place where she first entered the water. She did not see her danger until she was beyond her own strength and ability. And really, isn't that what temptation does to us? We see two, two illustrations here. This boy that kind of is prepared in the wrong way for temptation. He's prepared to enter into temptation. And then we see this woman who is, who is floating, but that, that last line where it said, she did not see her danger until she was beyond her own strength and ability. And so many times temptation, if we're not careful, will take us to that place where we're not able to return. Temptation today is often associated with sexual sin, but temptation really lurks in many areas, doesn't it? It can lurk in any area that we know that we're not supposed to be in. For example, if, if someone that's a, a recovering alcoholic, it's probably not the best place for them to be hanging out in the bar every day, correct? So again, being aware and being understanding that temptation isn't always in relation to sexual sin, And so today, the title of today is Unhurried Enough to Resist Temptation, or that's the idea of slowing down enough so that you can resist temptation. The actual meaning of temptation really points more towards a test than uh, this thing that we're being tempted by sin. It's a test. It's, It's an opportunity for us to succeed, a test that we have an opportunity to pass. And so if we think about this testing idea, if you go back to school, I mean, or think about school we're always told don't rush through your test. Take your time. Make sure you you think about every question, about every answer before you give your answer. So a test isn't something to be rushed through, though at times in life, we really just want to try to blow past it. I was thinking about this and, um, you know, fasting, for example, came to my mind. You know, with temptation, when you're fasting, if you've ever fasted for a season, whether it's a day or a week or, uh, you know, more than that, There's always that temptation to go off the fast, isn't there? Much like a diet too. There's always that temptation to pull away and to do what you don't want to do, but you have to stand strong. And so today we're going to continue as we have uh, many times the best place to start for our example is Jesus. And so we're going to look in scripture today in Luke chapter four, and I'm going to read verses one through 13. I'll be reading from the English standard version. And Luke chapter four is the the, the season where Jesus is led into the wilderness and he's tempted by Satan. And so we get to experience this, this kind of firsthand account of how Jesus stands amidst temptation. And so beginning in verse one, it says, "'And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, "'returned from the Jordan "'and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness "'for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. "'And he ate nothing during those days. "'And when they w- were ended,' And Jesus answered to him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. God, I thank you for this opportunity to share your word. Lord, we just thank you for just this time we had to just worship in song before this. And Lord, we just uh, prepare our hearts, Lord God, now to hear your word. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So notice here in this passage of scripture that the temptations come or the test comes at the end of the 40 days. Again, he says for 40 days, he'd been tempted by the devil and he ate nothing. And it says, and when they were ended, he was hungry. Interestingly enough, that's the moment that Satan comes in is right at the very end when he's hungry. And, you know, probably at, physically at his weakest, Satan comes in to tempt and so we're going to look again at these three temptations of Jesus in the wilderness. And maybe some of you have already connected this or maybe you studied this before, but if we look close here, we can see a shadow of, of Adam and Eve here in the garden as they were being tempted as well. And Jesus is called the second Adam, or maybe uh, another term he's also called is the last Adam, and maybe that's a better term because he, will, he is the final Adam But some differences between Adam and Jesus here we can see is that Adam, while surrounded by paradise, fell. And here Jesus is standing while surrounded by the wilderness. So Adam was in a place that was beautiful, that was comfortable all around him, and he fell. Yet Jesus was in a place, a barren place, a harsh place, and yet here Jesus is standing. Jesus is choosing obedience to God's word. While Adam chose the flesh over obedience it's not coincidence that luke in the preceding chapter here takes the time to go through the lineage of jesus see there was jesus's baptism and then he he takes meticulous and again if you're like me when you get to those parts of the bible you're, you're just like oh my goodness these names what are all these names for well here it is crucial and key to tie jesus all the way back through the lineage to adam And he's showing this, and now here we have this almost exact same scene of temptation that Adam faced, now Jesus is facing. And so Jesus is about to begin the reversal of the fall that was committed by Adam. And that's why it's so important that we understand how the lineage goes back. So as we look at these three temptations that Jesus faced, we're going to use the breakdown from the book the way the author breaks it down. And so verses 1 through 4 he calls it grab what you need, the temptation to grab what you need. And so in verse three there, again, Satan says, if you are the son of God. Now, this this is called a conditional sentence. This can be factual, but sometimes it's not. And so in this case, the if really isn't a question. It's more saying, since you are the son of God, why go hungry? Satan knew exactly who he was tempting. How do we know this? Well, most of us, you know, we, we like to say in the church, oh, Satan's made me do it, That the devil made me do it, and all these kinds of things, or the devil's you know, tempting me. But the reality is, is really none of us have ever had Beelzebub, the actual devil, Satan, Lucifer, fallen, come into our room and tempt us. We are tempted most often by ourselves, and maybe at best a small little minion of a demon or something like that. But, but here Jesus is facing off with Satan himself. And Satan knows who Jesus is. And so again, since you are God, the son of God, why go hungry? A well-crafted temptation. Another way, just just turn some rocks into bread. And again, there's nothing in that, really that's wrong, is there? What's, What's the big deal with turning rocks into bread? If you're hungry, just do it. But in this case, Jesus was called to fast and so he remained in steadfast obedience. You see, the enemy wants to trip us up with seemingly small sin, doesn't he? He's not going to come in with a big one, typically. He's going to come in with something that's like, what's the big deal? No one's going to know. It's not going to hurt anybody. What's that's the problem? But when we know what God has called us to, or we know that what, he's, what we're being tempted to do is wrong, then that's sin. And we would say it's a small sin, but the reality is there's no such thing as a small sin. Sin is sin. Before God. And sin, that even that seemingly small sin will lead us down a path. And much like that illustration we shared earlier, pretty soon you're so far off you can't save yourself with your own strength. So here Satan is trying to appeal to Jesus' flesh. Again, we know Jesus was the God man where he was fully God and fully man at the same time. He wasn't half and half. He was 100% God, 100% mad, man. And this is something that's, it's just a mystery and how to explain it. And so, but that, that is the case. And so, so Satan is now coming in after that flesh side, that humanity side of Jesus and trying to appeal to him. So passing this temptation though required Jesus to know the Father's will and he was led by the Spirit. The same spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness was present with him now, the Holy Spirit. And it was, he was sustaining Jesus through this time. So Satan, as the book, the book says, was trying to rush Jesus to disobey. Again, how many times do you feel that pressure, even from people that are maybe uh, non, not believers, that are not Christian, that are, that are trying to get you to do something that's wrong, they want to rush you into that decision, don't they? Before you have an opportunity to slow down and to pray and to think about it. And so again, Satan here is trying to rush Jesus, but Jesus stood and he stood on the word of God. Every single one of Jesus's responses here are the, are the word of God. So again, the first temptation of grab what you need and Jesus stood strong. Verses five through eight, the second temptation, again, in the book, the author labels it to take charge, the temptation to take charge. If, in verse seven, it says, if you then will worship me, it will be all yours. Satan's offering this to Jesus. If you worship me, it will, all of what you see will be yours. So Satan is trying to offer a fast lane, isn't he? We've talked in this series, you know, about life in the slow lane or, or moving over and slowing things down. But Satan is trying to offer a flat, a fast lane with no suffering and no cross, again, trying to appeal to Jesus and to appeal to him to just bypass everything. When I was reading this, I, I, my mind went to David very quickly. And in the Old Testament, if you've uh, read the account of David, after he was anointed king, there were many times he had opportunity to take out King Saul, to claim the throne on his own, in his own power, literally where he's standing over the very man that is chasing him down and hunting him down and trying to kill him. David had opportunity numerous times to kill him and take the throne by force. But David knew that the timing was not right. And he was committed to doing it in God's timing. And here we see that same kind of thing happening with Jesus, that there was a plan and he wanted to be obedient to that plan of the heavenly father we see here that Satan does have some authority over the earth. It doesn't take much. We look around the world today. It doesn't take much to realize that Satan does have some authority here in the earth, doesn't he? Look at what's happening around us. Look at the, the turmoil, the anger, the violence. This is all from this, the father of lies, from Satan himself. When Adam and Eve chose sin over over obedience, they signed over the lease agreement, if you will, for this earth. If you read the Old Testament in the account of Adam, God gave Adam dominion over all things. He was the keeper, if you will, of the earth and had that authority. But when he chose to sin willfully against God and listened to Satan, Satan therefore became the Lord over the earth. That's why he's called the prince of the air. That's why we talk about, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and, high, and rulers in high places. It's because there is a kingdom that has been allowed to take control of this earth. Now, while it is true Satan does have some power over the earth, he is not sovereign God overall. God is in control, and God has put into to work a plan to redeem all. Here's a thought for us today today as we're looking at this second temptation, living a a pain-free life of obedience doesn't necessarily constitute, sorry, let me rephrase that. Living a pain-free life doesn't necessarily constitute that we're being obedient to God. Doesn't mean that we're necessarily living a godly life. Obedience doesn't always equate to comfort. And I think a lot of times in the church, if we're honest we think, well, things are going pretty good in life. I must be doing something right. I must, God must be pleased with me right now. But that's not always the case, is it? Here Jesus is perfect in every way. Following the Holy Spirit is led into the wilderness and led into this season of temptation and facing this test and this trial. I was thinking about fishing in this regard. And if you think about when you fish and you, you, they, you cast that lure and that fish grabs hold, you know, it sees something it wants. You're putting that temptation and dangling it in front of it. It's a test, isn't it? And we hope that the fish will fail. We hope that the fish will believe that that thing's real and it'll, it'll latch on with all its might. But if you're pulling in that really big fish, what do you do when it gets too, too strong or that fish is just fighting? What do you do? You just let it run for a while, don't you? But that hook is still there. And just about when that fish thinks it's broken free, you just give it another yank, don't you? And that hook that's been embedded just yanks that fish back and you just keep, it keeps doing it over and over. That's what you keep doing until the fish just exhausts itself and then you reel it in for the catch. And how often does sin do the same thing in our lives? When we're lured in by temptation and we think we got away with it, we think we got the worm and there was no cost that came with it, but then it's only a matter of time before the enemy will just pull that hook And next thing you know, we're going the wrong way. And we wonder why. It's because we gave in to sin. We were disobedient. And now we're stuck. And only God, only Jesus Christ can help save us from our demise. In this second temptation, passing it required Jesus to truly trust his Father's will and timing. Again, I think so many times we just... We focus so much on the God side of Jesus, which is is true. But Jesus was fully human, meaning he had to face this temptation and he could have failed. But Jesus, again, is trusting in God's will, God the Father's will and the timing. And he's like, no, it's not my time. I will remain obedient to God, the Father. Again, Satan was trying to rush Jesus to a false position of power and authority without defeating death in the grave. It was smoke and mirrors. It was fake. Because Jesus knew the path that was laid before him, and he stayed with it. And the third temptation, verses 9 through 13, the author of the book, he calls this temptation that, we, that was to prove that God cares. It was a temptation to prove that God cares. Again, we see this This statement, if you are the son of God phrase, throw yourself down from here. Again, Satan not questioning who he was dealing with, he knew, but again saying, well, if you are the son, because you are the son, throw yourself down and the angels will take care of you, they will catch you, God will not let you fall. Notice that Satan continues to quote scripture, but he does it out of context. And again, Satan himself knows the scripture. Satan knows the scripture. There are people on this earth that can quote the Bible nearly cover to cover who do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is important that we memorize scripture. It is good to know scripture. We need to know that, and that's where we dig in. That's how we stand through trials. But knowing scripture in and of itself does not guarantee eternal life. It's knowing the word of God, knowing the Savior, the person of the scripture, Jesus Christ, that saves And so here Satan, and again, people in the world will do this as well. They will quote scripture out of context. They will take it in their own way and try to come at it from an angle that's beneficial to themselves. We can even do it to ourselves at times. But here's the deal. God needs not prove himself to anyone here in this temptation. The fact that we are still here is a testament to his care for us, just as it was to Jesus God sent, God the Father sent Jesus, his son, to die for us, to pay a price for us. Why? Because of his love for us. And that is our proof of God's love. Our biggest proof. There's many other things. But again, the fact that we can stand here today, all of us sinners, all of us in need of a savior, shows the grace and the kindness and the mercy of God. Passing this temptation required Jesus to trust that his heavenly father not only has love, but is love. Satan was trying to rush Jesus to exalt himself rather than waiting on the heavenly father to exalt him at his perfect time. So a question I want to pose today is, could you or could I, maybe we're thinking, maybe maybe we wouldn't say that out loud, but have we ever thought, maybe could we have withstood such a temptation? Could somebody sit there and say, you know, as I look at this, I don't see what the big deal is. Jesus, it's, it's just saying no, you're just standing. And so what I want to do, and, and I, had, I hadn't seen this before, but during this study it came to me and it was amazing, but I want to fast forward to another garden for a moment. We start at the beginning of Genesis with the Garden of Eden. And now I want to fast forward to a garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. And in Matthew 26, verses 36 through 46, we find Jesus and the disciples in the final moments before Jesus is taken in to captivity, which would ultimately end in his being led to the cross to die. And so we join him in these moments and beginning in verse 36, listen to this. It says, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. He said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Again, Jesus is entering into this moment of extreme temptation, an extreme attack from the enemy. And then he said to them, my soul is sorrowful, very sorrowful, even to death, remain here, Listen to this, and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Again, seeing this very, very uh, human side of Jesus, saying, God, if there's any way for what, this, what is about to come, if there's any way for me to not go through this, let this cup pass. But then at the end, he submits to the will. In verse 40, he, it says, and he came back, or he came to the disciples, and what did he do? He found them praying. No, I'm sorry. No, it says sleeping. And he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42, and for a second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came back and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came back, or came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. What is stark image here? Here is another point of temptation coming in and crashing around Jesus, but notice he gives the opportunity to not just the disciples, but the three closest, Peter, James, and John, those who, were, who saw the most and spent the most time with him, gives them the opportunity to stand and to watch with him through the night when he was under the greatest amount of temptation, but they succumbed to their tiredness and their fatigue and chose sleep over prayer. The savior of the world, Jesus, the Messiah, son of God, asks these three men, pray with me, stand watch with me, and they failed. They succumbed to the flesh and to the temptations of just pleasing their fatigue through sleep. Is there anything wrong with sleep? No, there's not. Of course, there's not anything wrong with sleep. But in this moment, it's just like being in wartime. If the person that you're depending on to guard, to be on duty while you rest or to, to watch this side while you watch the other side, if that person falls asleep, now you're exposed, aren't you? They are not doing their job. It is not the time to sleep when the enemy is lurking about. We will enter seasons of life, church, where God is calling us to stand watch. In the military, through many training exercises, and oftentimes what happens is early in the morning, just before Uh, daylight is when you have to get up and you have to go out to your fighting positions, your foxholes, and you get in. Why? Because you're anticipating the enemy as soon as it is light is coming to attack. And so you must be on watch. You must be on guard. And God, oftentimes in our life, if we're spending time with him and we're reading scripture and we're praying, God will let us know when we are coming into a season to be on watch, to be on guard. And let me tell you this today, church. With what's happening around us right now in this nation and with what's going on in, in the months ahead, I'm telling you now that the church is being called to be on watch. The church is being called to time of prayer, a time of fasting, a time of seeking God and to be looking out. The church is not to be found asleep, but sadly, that will be the case for some. So what then can we take away from all of this in regards to facing temptations when, when it comes to, to slow down? How do we slow down and, and, and be prepared? Well, the first thing as we've talked much about today is, is through prayer, through prayer. Prayer acknowledges our spiritual weakness and dependence on God. When we come to God in times of trial and tribulation and turmoil, it's saying that I cannot do this on my own, Lord. I need you. Going back to the illustration again, when that woman was swept away, she could not do anything in her power and had to depend on that Coast Guard boat. And I guarantee you, when they showed up on the the horizon, she was yelling and pleading and crying out to them for help. And that is what we are to do, church. We are to call out to God for help and for mercy and for his strength to sustain us through times of trial. Another part that we can do during times of temptation is is to be watchful, to be watchful. Charles Spurgeon says, he said, the believer's self-watch is vital, but by itself, vigilance is only part of the believer's response to temptation. So again, we are supposed to pray. As Jesus said, you know, watch with me. He said to watch with me. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So we're not only supposed to watch, but through that we're supposed to pray. A third way that we can stand during times of temptation is through fasting. Through fasting. Fasting trains us to deny ourselves of eating and contentment and to focus in on God. Now, there are many types of fasts, but... Most of them deal with food. And actually, um, as I was praying about the rest of the year, I feel led for us as a church to enter into a 21 days of fasting and prayer. And so beginning on October 18th, we're going to begin a three-week fast, a 21-day fast. And more information will come out. We're going to have uh, material just to kind of explain different types of fasts and to encourage you uh, to participate. But what are we going to do? What's the purpose of that? Well, we're going to stand watch. We're going to pray because of what's happening and going on in our nation. And and we need prayer through this time. We do not want to be swept into the flow of where the world is headed. But we as a church need to stand. And so more information will be coming, but we aren't just going to talk about it in a message. We're going to do it as a church. And so in October, at the end of October, we'll enter that season. And lastly, the other thing that we can do during this time is confession. Confession. Bringing our sinful thoughts to God helps us to deal with them before they become action. If you're watching today and you're struggling with something, you're struggling with this thing that just keeps coming up, you need to confess it. You need to bring it to God before it becomes an action while it's still here in your thought life. The way I explain our makeup, there's different ways, kind of, but, but the way I like to see it is that we're spirit, soul, and body. That we are a spirit. That is what is eternal. That is what is made new when we say yes to Jesus and, and are saved. We live in this body, this flesh that is dying because it's sinful. And one day we will have a new body, as, as the word of God promises. But somewhere in between there is what I would call the soul. And, and that's the way I describe it. That's our mind, will, and emotions, And if you think about your mind and your will and emotions, your mind has to be renewed all the time with the word. Your will, you can use your will to go towards God or go away from God. And our emotions will often betray us as well. We can't trust them. It's God's given us them as a gift, but we cannot just rely on emotion alone. So our our soul is kind of the in-between, and that's really where the battle is won. And so when we have these thoughts, before it is transmitted to our flesh to carry out an action, we need to bring those to God and allow him to help us. Notice that prayer, watchfulness, fasting, and confession, all of these things are very, very slow and unhurried, or at least they should be. These are not something quick, and this idea of being unhurried comes into focus. As the worship team comes, we're going to close today singing a song together. Before we do, and as we prepare to do that, I want us to think about the fact that God will allow testing in our lives, but it's for the purpose of bringing to the forefront faith and patience. And those two things ultimately honor him, as we saw in the life of Job in Scripture. I once heard it said that the teacher is the most silent during the test. When you think about school and, and when you're taking that test, the teacher is, is quiet. The teacher is present, but what is the teacher doing? The teacher is looking at everything that you've learned, and they want to see that, that you've learned through this, the time of teaching. And God continues to teach us, and we continue to grow in our maturity with him And so when we face these tests and trials at times, it can seem like God is far away. But I'm here today to tell you that he's not. The word of God says that he promises to stay closer to us than a brother. To never leave us or forsake us. So don't mistake God's silence for his absence. Because he is present and we are being given an opportunity to step up and step in and be mature. He's giving us an opportunity, much like he did those disciples that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, to participate with him, to watch and to pray. When was the last time that you pressed in and that you persevered through prayer to watch and to pray? Perhaps for somebody that you love, perhaps for the church, perhaps for yourself. But there are seasons that God calls us to. And the good news is whatever it is that you're facing today, God is present with you. Jesus is with you, and he understands every single bit of what you're facing. In Hebrews 4, it says, since then we have a great high priest Who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. And then listen to this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, here's where it gets good. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And you see, that goes against what most people do, doesn't it? Even ourselves, myself included. So many times when we get into a difficult situation or we've really messed up, the last thing we want to do is come to God with that. Much like a child who's done something wrong and their father comes in the room looking for them, what do they do? They scatter and hide, don't they? They don't want to face what's coming. What's coming? But the reality is the father loves that child, doesn't he? And while there may be some consequences, ultimately the father is going to help restore that child. And so God today is calling you and me to come to him with our concerns, with our cares, with our trials, with our struggles. He already knows them, but he wants us to come boldly to his throne. Why? Because we have Jesus Jesus has made that possible. Jesus is the one that rent the veil in two and allowing us to enter into the most holy place, not because we merit it or because we are good, but because we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And we can trust that Jesus understands. Jesus is our mediator between God and us. And here we see in scripture, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. What's keeping you from Christ today? What's keeping you from coming to God today with your struggles and your trials and your your troubles and your mistakes? Too many have bought in to the, the narrative that they're worthless, that God can never forgive them for what they've done. But when we say that God can't forgive, we're really saying that the cross wasn't enough, but it was. If you're watching today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't know the gift of being able to run to the throne of grace, I would invite you to click on the the prayer link today and somebody will be there to speak with you. Don't let this day, don't let the sun set on this day. Before your head hits the pillow tonight, you can know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and that you have eternal life through him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for today. God, I thank you, while we're not able to gather in person, Lord, that we are able to gather through these means, and that there is no distance in the Spirit, Lord. And I pray for every single person watching today, for those who know you and call you Lord and Savior, if they've been trying to hide, not come clean, not confessed, God, I pray that they come and ask for forgiveness. Lord, I pray myself included, Lord, for the times when we've just handled prayer loosely, when we've not approached you with with honor and respect, and God, we've not given ourselves to you and that confessed our sin to you forgive us lord where we've tried to do it in our own strength restore us today lord god god give us a heart to to go deeper lord in your word to press deeper in our time of prayer and lord god as things uh, get more challenging lord god rather than moving away from you lord I, i pray lord that it moves us towards you that we press in towards you through prayer, watchfulness, fasting, and confession. Thank you for this time today, Lord God, and this reminder. God, we thank you that you are Lord overall. We thank you for this series, Lord, just reminding us to slow down, to become more and more unhurried as we become more attuned to your will, to the leading of your voice, Lord God. God, I pray that we are not just hearing sermons or reading a book, Lord God, but that we are putting into practice these, these things in our life, that we are learning to slow down, spend time in the Word, spend time with you. And God, to choose obedience over comfort. Thank you that you are present here with us today, Lord God. And as we lift our voices here in a moment to you and worship, Lord God, I thank you. Thank you that there is no other name but Jesus and that we have that authority because of Jesus. And one day every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you love us and you care for us and you are present with us in our time of need in Jesus' name.